Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Divorce Podcast. Today is going to be a lot of fun. We get to talk to someone who's internal at Modern Law and somebody who's a really crucial asset. She's like our sniper. We're talking to Megan Kern, who is our internal, in-house, full-time CDFA forensic accountant paralegal. What that means is really exciting, and I want you to meet her. She's also super fun lives in New Orleans. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. First, can you just give people a little bit of background about who you are? Born and raised in New Orleans. Small town, big town feel. The village really does raise the child. So there were friends of, of my, the parents of my friends basically took you under their wing and you are let out into the neighborhood going from house to house. And that's basically what I've brought to my children as well in my small neighborhood. I started working in legal during college. I was basically a file clerk doing asbestos litigation. That's where I basically learned what the difference between a pleading was and discovery. After college, I decided to continue and was a legal assistant in personal injury and kind of moved up the ranks to that. I moved to Texas for a couple of years just for a change of scenery. But of course, New Orleans was my home. So I was back about two years later, about six months after Katrina is when I actually moved back when there was no place to live. Wow. So, yeah, there was housing was at an all time standstill. People were living with their parents and their grandparents on couches wherever they could while their ho- their homes, their apartments, everything was being gutted and rebuilt. I you could say that the employment market was out of this world. So I was able to get my pick of the litter of any law firm that I wanted to work at when I moved back. Because so many people moved to Houston and Atlanta, not too many people were moving back. So these law firms wanted to get up and running. So they were, here, here you go. You want a job? Here's your job. What, what position do you want? What, what kind of money do you want? Come on in. So I, I was working hurricane litigation on the defense side. So we worked for the insurance company. So we were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but which was a lot of accounting because we had to deal with the public adjusters and their reports and see kind of where the money would lie after um, the expenses were paid. And I mean, and everything went to trial. So it got me a lot of trial experience. I was after that, my college boyfriend and I, we had been together for 10 years at that point, decided to get married. So. He is from small town, Louisiana, Thibodeau, which is down the body. All right. If he has some cocktails, that accent gets way thicker. <laughs> and if you're not, if you're not, if you've never heard it before, it's it's hard to decipher exactly what he is saying. He has 
let's say he he has learned to speak more eloquently as his professional career has has surpassed what his small town upbringing was. So I believe Chevron put him through a speech class. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I'll tell you, the first time I went to New Orleans, I was going on a cruise and I was in the, you know, cabs and Ubers and could not understand the drivers. Like had no idea what they were saying. It all depends on where they are in the city because there's, you know, there's uptown, which you will more likely be able to understand. There's Metairie that has a little bit of a yat accent. Where yat is where that comes from. Where yat? Where are you at? I'm asking, where are you? Where are you? I'm coming to get you. Where yat? My my friend Andrea, I remember growing up, she used to make fun of me because it's, I would say, at your house. Not at your house, which is how I say it now, but at your house. She's like, at your house? Do you, do you understand how you sound right now? Like, so, okay, Megan, Megan can, you, can you go full-blown, like, as hardcore on your accent as possible? Like, you're, like channel the small-town husband for, like, the next minute while we talk so we can hear it? Oh, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. So, it gets pretty thick, but not so much for me, but definitely for him. But I can, I can hear it and I can assess it, basically. Sure, so, sure, sure. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So, I'm Sicilian. <laughs> And I learned Italian in college and I studied abroad and I learned proper Italian and I had been to Sicily before, but then I went to Sicily and I couldn't understand them. And it's the same thing. It's just a very mud version of Italian that, that is a dialect mm-hmm. and, and its own language. And, you know, the Italians do look down on the Sicilians and it's probably the exact same thing. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually classes that you can take at LSU and ULL that are Cajun French. Cajun French. Is that what we call it? Is that the dialect? Cajun French? That's the dialect. Cajun French. We are Acadian. So, yep. Well, that's fantastic. That's so cool. And I'm so lucky to have you at Modern Law. Uh, thankfully, the pandemic has allowed us to bring on the best people from everywhere. And so tell me, what does a CDFA do? CDFA, we are trained and certified to look at all of the financials during the marriage, after the marriage, during a divorce, through a business, and decipher calculating community portions versus separate portions, and also what is the best route for the client? Which asset would be an asset to that client? Everything is divisible 50-50, but there is always a way that you can trade off on assets and liabilities, and it's my job to make sure our, our client does it in a way that will benefit them for years. Are you working with clients directly then to go over? Absolutely. When we get a case here, basically, if it's a financial case or or small or big, we work with the client in order to get all of the documents in order to calculate these things. I have a magic spreadsheet that I plug everything in and it lets me manipulate the numbers on either side of the column. And that will allow me to have a sit-down conversation with the client and say, okay, Here it is 50-50, but if we move this one into his column and this one into your column, you're going to get dividends and interest on this investment account. 
and he is just going to get cash. So I would recommend that you do this or this in order to help benefit the next few years. Such an asset to the clients, such an asset. I don't know any other law firms that have someone like you on full-time. So you are, I, I really think you're like my sniper. I'm so happy to sit here in modern law. And then the other thing that you do is forensic accounting. Correct. I will dig. My job as a forensic accountant is basically to get all of the records, not only statements, but we're looking at canceled checks. We're looking at deposits, not only just deposits, we are looking for deposit items, which means when you fill out a deposit slip, you list all the checks that are being deposited. If you look at the bank statement at that same time period, you will see one lump deposit number that doesn't always, it's not always just one item. It could be several items. So by going to the bank and getting the rest of the deposit items, you can actually see what was deposited into that account. You can then trace it, trace, you trace what happens to it after. If it was paid on credit cards, you go to the credit cards. If it was given to somebody else, you will have a canceled check showing who it was written to and what account it was deposited into, even if that account is not in your name or your spouse's. And you can go through all of these things and you can decipher whether or not there was an inheritance received or if there was monetary gifts received and what did they do with that, which could potentially give you a reimbursement claim. You could also look at whether or not there was large extravagance purchases out there. If there was a a piece of artwork that was purchased six years ago, but you had no knowledge of it, there's an artwork somewhere that has a six thousand, at least a $6,000 value to it that needs to be assessed and it needs to be included in the community. So they, they, there's just a tidbit of what I do. I've also, um, we've worked on pinpointing mortgage balances during certain periods of time. This will help if ever there is a community lien that needs to be calculated or any reimbursement claim that is associated with separate property. I think that's, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a ton that forensic accounting can do there. There it is. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it, it, it's expansive. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've got a case we're working on right now where, we're fighting over a business valuation. We've got a shady ex and explain the things that you're doing to make sure that our client isn't getting screwed. I am, we, since we have, in that case, we have a financial neutral and my job right now is basically is to go over all of the documents that the other spouse provided to the financial neutral and make sure that everything was accounted for. There are years and years of financials that were given to her. There's going to be years and years of bank statements and general ledgers and P&Ls and balance sheets. And she may not go through everything with a fine tooth comb, but I will. Right. And, and I, it, it's going to be my position to bring things to her attention that she may have missed, mm-hmm. which will ultimately affect the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's that's kind of the biggest thing. In family court, lawyers, judges, financial neutrals typically are not paying attention to all the details. And you are. You're like a financial detective. I like that. I'll take that. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You're sharp as a whip. And helping people understand their AFIs is also a hard thing. So 
Uh, how do you find that you can impact people and help people when they're doing their AFIs? The problem I find that clients have with AFIs is that there's a lot of legal terminology in there that they may not understand. Right. And they may not get that, you know, this is additional compensation from your employer, but like it says cell phone. So yeah, I have a cell phone. Let me put that there. It's it's proper placement. It's proper calculation. And it's really beneficial to have somebody go through it with you in order to put your numbers in the exact right spots. And that's really important for mostly spousal maintenance. Like if we are, as lawyers, arguing over what spousal maintenance should be, not having accurate expenses on either side or income on either side really does impact what your spousal maintenance is going to be. And also you being able to rip apart an opposing side's affidavit of information. It's an affidavit, which means it's a sworn statement. So if somebody's leaving income off their financial affidavit, like we want to know that. We want to bring that up. Yeah, we'll, we'll do proper calculation of income, but we will also, after disclosures, have their bank statements and their credit card statements. So if they're overspending and they're not listing any proper expense, we will have the correct amount. And if there's any exemplary expenses, whether it's contributions to retirement or gifts to their adult children that can be taken out, we will do that as well in order to calculate the other side's proper income and expenses. The other place that I really like to use you is with child support deviations, upward child support deviations, and a lifestyle analysis. So so to get an upward deviation of child support, we have to show how much money was spent on the children during the marriage. And that doesn't just include like direct expenses for the children. It includes like, what was their portion of housing? What was your vacations each year? How much are your cars that you were spending? So you can do that lifestyle analysis. And what that does is it determines a new level of base support. So the child support calculator automatically says, you know, for two kids, the base support is let's say $3,000 or something like that. The base support of a high income family might be closer to 10,000 a month, which makes a massive difference in child support. Correct. We will look at all of the bank statements and all the credit card statements for the last few years of the marriage and break it down, which means we transcribe everything and categorize it. At the end, when everything is said and done and into the spreadsheets, we will have categories. This is how much they spent in housing per year. This is how much they spent in food and household per year. This is how much they spent on clothing per year. And it gives you a better understanding of what the lifestyle was of the children during the marriage. I love it. I love it. Megan, we can't finish without talking about New Orleans and Mardi Gras. Okay. Tell me what about- would you like to know. Well, you just were at Mardi Gras, right? I yeah, it was it was it, we were back. Bigger, better, better. Bigger, better, better. So was yeah. that okay? So did Mardi Gras not happen the last couple of years? It did not happen in 2021. Okay. When the pandemic started, it was a week after Mardi Gras was oh, over. Wow. Okay. Okay. So uh, we shut down March 13th and March 1st was Mardi Gras Day that, that year. Oof. Oof. Okay. Just in the nick of time. So what do you do? How are you part of Mardi Gras? So I am a part of an all-female crew that rides on the Thursday night prior to the big weekend. There 
Fat Tuesdays, always on Tuesday. And then you have Lundy Girl, which is on Monday. And then the big weekend is right before then. Bigger parades start that Wednesday. So you have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday. And then you're done. I understand. So, because I don't really know. So I was raised Catholic. I know about Ash Wednesday, which starts Lent. So does does the parade and Fat Tuesday is supposed to be the celebration before Lent? Because during Lent, as a Catholic, you're supposed to like be sad. (laughs) <laughs> right. That Tuesday is is getting out all of your sin before you're supposed to not do anything. It's your bad part. Overindulge in drinking and eating and partying and do it's everything. Get it out of your system because Ash Wednesday starts on that Wednesday. So does the parade end Tuesday or does it go into Lent? Midnight Tuesday, so Ash Wednesday midnight, you will see a very long line of police horses go down Bourbon Street and push the entire crowd into small bars and and all the bars on Bourbon Street shut down till 6 a.m. But they shut down, which is the only time they shut down. All year. The entire year. All year. Wow. So this is so fun because it's so cultural. It's religious. It's historic. Like it's, it's cool. It's satirical. It's very satirical. Uh, We make fun of everybody. Our own outsiders, religions, politicians, name it. We make fun of everybody. So, okay. So Wednesday at midnight, it's done. We're sad. And when does it start? It starts two major weekends. Two weekends prior. So so you do Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then it starts Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Oh my gosh. And you but, you party for each of those days? I went to parades on it each and every night. Oh my gosh. And when you parade, I saw videos of this. Tell me, describe to people what these parades are like. So I only ride in one parade, which is a, a, a huge, massive event. We had 26 floats. We have, I think it's 30-something bands and walking crews. We have celebrity guests. We have a huge party after. We have a huge party before. I mean, it's just, it's a it's a whole day. It started at noon, and I think I got off the float at 1 a.m. So it's a marathon. Marathon. So you start in basically the September before Mardi Gras is when you buy all your throats. And then in November, you find out what floats you're on. In January 6th is the actual start of Carnival. It is King's Day. It is also another Catholic holiday. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's the start of Carnival, King's Day. Epiphany, right? Isn't that Epiphany? It's the Feast of the Epiphany. Yeah. That's why our, we have King Cakes because it's King's Day. Yeah. yeah. So January 6th is when we find out your theme and your float will have its own float, its own theme where we make these fabulous headdresses. Every float is different. And then you start making your shoes. My particular crew, we are the crew of Muses. So we have high heel shoes or any kind of shoes, really, that we glitter and decorate and we throw to the crowd. Sounds ridiculous. It's extremely heavy. And I'm sure there's multiple injuries during the, the parade, but it's all in good fun. And it's a keepsake that people take home to them back to Chicago, back to California, wherever they're coming from. And they put it on their mantles. So, and you're only allowed to do a few shoes. So there's, we're not inundating the entire crowd with shoes and nothing but shoes. 
it's everybody gets a, a, a few shapes to throw and then the rest of their are throws of beads and light up things and it's just it's all a good time it's all a good time I don't know that most of us Americans fully understand the extent of the traditions and everybody needs to experience it. Yeah, it sounds like it. Absolutely. I can't think of anything else that happens in our country. I mean, it's kind of like Burning Man, but so much older and so much like richer in tradition. We are very rich in tradition. It is also, it's not all adult and party too i mean i have two small children and they basically come to the majority of the parades with me you bring out oh you bring your ladder out there you get out there hours before the parade even starts everybody's in the streets dancing there's usually bands on every block and a lot if the school if there is a school on the route they will sell bathroom passes and the dads will be cooking jambalaya in the back that you could you can purchase and it's it's all family fun but i mean of course, there are the parades that you keep your kids at home and you do your own adult thing and there's drinking in the streets and there's shots and just good time. Just, just you know, make sure you uh, bring your Gatorade and try and get some sleep. Okay. So you can enjoy Mardi Gras without being a marathon drinker, it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's good to know. That's good to know. Fantastic. I feel like law firm should go next year and you can, you can hook us up with some information. Let, let me know. And I will start looking at uh, places to stay for everybody and, and which weekend y'all want to come. It sounds insane. Okay. Last tip before we, we wrap up. So I was in Las Vegas for a work meeting and had one too many drinks, which for me is three. I can do two, three is too much. And I was asking you, like, what is, so how do you, what are your best tips? Because you are obviously, you know how to handle when you've had a little bit too much. So give everyone the same tips you gave me. Same tip. It's it's my secret tip is marathoners take these electrolyte pills that you can purchase from any GNC or any health food store. And I believe Amazon sells it too. Pop two in the morning, two in the evening, two in the morning again, and you're golden. So everybody should try that and let me know how it works. That's right. Thank you so much for your time today. I am so grateful that I get to work with you and that I get to know you. And thanks for sharing all that information with our listeners. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to the Modern Divorce Podcast. Remember, anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.